You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, if you're visiting with us, this is going to be a little different. If you are part of this family, just know that this is going to be a little different because we can't just have Dave say that he's retiring us pray a prayer and then move on as business as usual. It's just not the way of this church. And it's not the way of kinship and friendship. Dave has been more than a co-worker to me. He's been a friend. And he's been a shepherd. He's a good man. And I'm going to talk poorly about him when he leaves. (laughs) So let me let him leave first so I'm safe. Cut the video feed. Cut the video feed. No. (laughs) I <laughs> love your brother. He stuck around first, so he's heard all of this. Um, so I came with Allison and Ian. Ian was um, just a little over a year and a half old when we moved to Williamsburg, Virginia from our year plus couple of months stint in Amarillo, Texas. Allison's from Alabama. I'm from Georgia, but we, God sent us to Nineveh, I mean Texas, to serve um, with a church, <laughs> all the Texans are like, what? Um, sent us to serve with a church there, and um, it was a mega church, as you would call it. It was a large church, and I was hired to come on as a campus ministry pastor to replant a campus ministry and then to do young adult ministry, um, but the church uh, had some immense amounts of struggles within its leadership from the elders to the staff. Um, Not the senior leader. The senior leader was beautiful and solid and a dear mentor and a good man. Um, And and 50% of the reason I believe God sent us there to to be loved by him and learn from him. But things just went off the rails in ways beyond his control. And before it was over, I had been been, um, asked to serve as like an interim youth pastor or an interim worship pastor. And then an interim kind of like lead pastor to our preaching pastor. Not lead pastor, but an interim preaching pastor. And it was just like I said, it was a train wreck. So we came here. And it was just Garrett and Dave on staff when, when I came in 2010 of October. And a faithful eldership and a faithful, small, um, but yet shrinking congregation, but a faithful congregation. And the very first staff meeting that we had, we, we uh, went to, um, we, we met at Aromas. And that was my first staff meeting with Garrett and Dave. And the very first thing I did was I turned around a sheet of paper with five statements and practices associated with each statement. It's what we now call a rule of life. And I invited Garrett and Dave to live into this rule of life with me. I gave them permission. That used to be our language. I gave them permission to live into that with me, to love me for God's sake and guard my back, protect my values, believe my motives and sing my praises. And I asked them if I could live into that with them. And immediately they said yes. And we began living that way together. And we began practices. We had practices with each. And we began to spend time with each other so that these weren't just statements. We would recite them every staff meeting. And then three years later, we brought the elders into that rule of life. And then three years later, give or take, we brought the church into that rule of life. And here we are. But going back. Dave's from New Jersey. I'm from Georgia. Culturally, that's weird. When you're raised in Georgia, you say kind things even if you don't mean them. Kind of a false sincerity 
that accompanies a legitimate sincerity. Days from New Jersey. Everything is just sincerity. And there's no yes, ma'am, please, sir, no, thank you. It's just New Jersey. And that was odd, getting familiar with that language. But when I got here, Garrett was, uh, I was, Allison, how old was I? That was 12 years ago. What would that make me? <laughs> what was I? 32? Okay, I was 32. <laughs> William and Mary, this is, what, this is what developmental math looks like in college. You don't, you don't know what that looks like. This is what that looks like right here. I was 32. So I was young. Um, Garrett was younger than even that. Uh, but Dave was old. And I did say that first service, so that's, that's all there. And I thought to myself, this is going to be tricky because here's this young guy who just had dreads from what I would understood, Garrett, typical, like stereotypical youth minister guy. Um, this is, for those who don't know, this was before, the, before his accident. Um, and then there's Dave, this old guy who's the associate guy, and I thought, man, this, this, is gonna be, this may be an uphill battle in some ways. What is this guy like? And I realized quickly that Dave Faith is one of the most adaptable open-hearted, willing to process and wrestle with the deep things, even things that make him radically uncomfortable, kind of people I'd ever known. Yeah. And y'all, if you were, raise your hand if you've been here longer than 12 years. Okay, <laughs> okay. There's been a lot of change. We talked about that for sure, a lot of change. A lot of change in terms of the heart of the church, a lot of change in terms of looking around. I mean, um, Dave has navigated and shepherded all of that change with the rest of the leadership. And he's done so, he's done so with faithfulness. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, and we're going to get into our text. But if you don't know what Dave has always done, Dave is our prayer and care pastor. And so the bottom line was, Dave was always and has always been the first responder to people who were sick. And as a lead pastor, that was always helpful for me because as I was coming into a church like this, it required a different kind of, you know, shepherding presence than the old sort of stereotypical country church kind of lead pastor kind of role. And so it was helpful to have a guy on staff who, if you were sick, he was your first responder. Sure, I'd visit or I would call, but he was always your first responder. And that was a great relief. Not only that, he handled all the administration. And if you know anything about me, if I were supposed to handle the administration, we would be in a whole kind of hot mess as a church. All right, like it just ain't, it just ain't happening well. Like Dave, he's meticulous. He's rarely wrong. It's really irritating. And he's always there, always dotting I's, crossing T's, bugging me about receipts that he has never received in 12 years. True story. Um, told you. And it's not because I'm rebellious. I'm just slack. And he has always been good. And that was his role. And he always visited people in this church. His ministry was to visit people in this church who weren't able to make it on Sunday and bring them communion. My very first week in staff... As I did a ride along with Dave, I'll never forget because I'd never really seen it before, but he had like a little communion box. It was cute. And he carries a little communion box. And we would visit the seniors who couldn't make it that morning, that Sunday morning, and we would spend time with them, and he would administer the Eucharist. And I just, you knew the presence of Christ was among us. Dave and I, would, uh, we tried to visit this uh, sort of like a regional ministers meeting um and it was uh it was people from our tradition from our sort of heritage 
And um, we, we tried, when I say tried visiting, Dave and I, we, we, we tried, we, we showed up and we, we tried to be fully present, but we just didn't, neither one of us really belonged there. And it's okay, beautiful people, we just didn't really fit the, the situation. And, and Dave was just kind of a right hand with me that first year. Well, in October 2011, a couple here invited Allison and Ian and I to share in their timeshare in the Outer Banks. Now, we're from, South, we're from Georgia and Alabama, so we're from the Gulf Shores, right? We know white sands and blue waters. We didn't know brown sands and murky waters. No, 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 no offense. No, don't, don't rile up. Don't, everybody listen. Do we need to pray? Are we good? Um, <laughs> but we went, and it was October, and there had been heavy storms that year, and mosquitoes were abounding, but we were there. We spent some time. We started to ride back, and as we were driving back, I couldn't drive because I had a debilitating headache, and my back was, I was in excruciating pain. But yet, Allison wasn't feeling too well either, and so we wondered, what did we possibly catch? Well, come to find out, Allison had just eaten too much shrimp. Um, I, when I got home, had to go. Um, we, we pulled into the, ho- to the, to the house that we were renting, and I just got in the car and drove straight to urgent care. And then I went into a room, they turned off the lights, and then the next thing I know, I'm in the ER, and they're giving me a spinal tap, and I'm getting admitted, and they don't know what I have, but I'm really, really sick. My brain lining is swelling around my brain, and my spinal fluid, everything is just, it's just not good. And I'm in significant pain, so much so that I fall asleep. I don't remember two of the four days I was in the hospital, but what I remember most is what I'm sharing with you when I woke up from whatever state I had been in, I saw at the corner of the room, sitting there praying for me was Dave. He was in this yellow wannabe hazmat suit with this face shield and a mask and gloves in a room with a guy that the doctors didn't know what I had, but he was there praying for me. When I came to, I saw him, and it was just like a sense of peace. That's Dave Faith. And this is a retirement, not a celebration of life. But I just didn't feel like we could go on without at least acknowledging the faithfulness of a faithful shepherd. Scripture talks about honoring your shepherds, doesn't it? It does. We don't talk a lot about that here because it's weird to be a shepherd and talk about honoring shepherds. So I'm trusting you're reading your Bible. (laughs) But it talks about honoring shepherds. And he's been a faithful shepherd among us. And I think one of the things that I've appreciated most about Dave is that Dave has been what Scripture would call a companion who shares in a heavenly calling. And he's been a kind of companion who shares in a heavenly calling that has modeled, in my opinion, faithfulness. He's modeled a willingness to think differently. He's modeled a willingness to rethink what he's always thought. He's modeled a humility in the midst of not agreeing. And he's modeled a faithfulness in the midst of it all to maintain love and unity. Because above all things, Dave has always modeled faithful love. And as I've thought about what to say on a Sunday as we gather as the people of God where a coworker and a dear friend who's been here for 22 years that I've known for 12 and worked closely with for 12 and walked through the valleys of the shadow of death when we were walking with the lobsters as Rhett Garrett was going through 
therapy after the accident. I mean, Dave was a steady hand, and he's been a steady hand in so many people's lives. But he's been a steady hand in mine. As we grieved the loss of Karen, his wife, as we celebrated new love in Gene, as we celebrated him that year, 10 years of service, vocational ministry service, I believe it was. Yeah, it was, where we partied it up. I thought about him a lot because we've just been in reflection for the two weeks that we've known about his retirement. We've always suspected, but when it's real, it's a different kind of thing. And the scripture that kept coming to mind is Hebrews 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn there if you will. If you have version apps, you might want to open it up and go to Hebrews 3. I want to read the text. I want to talk it through because there's implications for us as a people. So this is outside of our series that we're in. This is a standalone conversation because it felt weird just to keep going as if everything's remained the same because in the life of this church it won't be. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 to 14. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Everybody say brothers and sisters. Okay, stop. It's, it's important that you start off realizing that that's how the scripture refers to the church. Brothers and sisters, not members of a church. Not the gathered, not the assembled. Now, don't get me wrong. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 19 through 26, it does say, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as has been the habit of some, because that's the time where you consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. So gathering together is a biblical summons. It's not a suggestion. It's a summons. So the gathered church matters. Are y'all with me? But that's not the sum total of the life of the church. There's a gathering that's, the gathering is a means to an end. The end is sharing in the common life as a people of God committed to being brothers and sisters, or as the scripture says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, companions who share in a heavenly calling. Everybody say companion. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, companions who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all of God's household. Everybody say household. So here's what we have. We have brothers and sisters. We have companions. We have this idea of sharing in something together because we are companions. And then we have the language of household. That is familial language. It's family language. Are you with me? Churches are families. As dysfunctional as the day is long, especially when you got leaders from New Jersey... (laughs) but families. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, verse 3, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. You see household three times. Important, important language. This is the language of our faith, beloved. And we are that household. We are that household. Say, we are that household. Say it. That's what we are. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Verse 7. Now the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Everybody say harden hearts. 
All right, so we have brothers and sisters. We have companions. We have sharing in a heavenly calling. We have household, and we have heart and hearts, all in the same story. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. He's drawn back to the story of Exodus. Verse 9, where your ancestors tested me. Everybody say ancestors. And now we have the word ancestors. We are, we have a story, we have a lineage, we have spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith. Where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Verse 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters. You see that language? Watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out, brothers and sisters. It's a warning. So that there won't be any of you, in any of you, an unbelieving evil heart or an evil unbelieving heart. That order matters. I'm sorry. Let me say it again. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage each other. Everybody say encourage each other. Encourage. All right, that's the last call and response we'll do. All right. Encourage each other. Encourage each other daily. If that wasn't the last call and response, I'd say everybody say daily, but I'm not going to because I said that's the last call and response. <laughs> See what I did there? But encourage each other daily while it is called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For we have become companions of the Messiah, participants in him, if we hold firmly until the end of the reality. If we hold firmly, firmly until the end of the reality, the reality that we had at the start, the reality. The reality that the way we understood life before Jesus has completely been done away with. We now understand the way of the world differently. We understand life differently. We understand love differently. We understand community differently. Stay with me. We understand what it means to be God's people differently. That's the reality in which we live under the reign of God who is king in Christ. We understand the world differently now because we understand our place in it differently. All of our secondary markers of gender and race and ethnicity become secondary markers. We still embrace them and we still celebrate them. We still honor them. We don't try to be blind to them. That's ridiculous and it dishonors the way God made us. But we put them as secondary to the primary identity of our baptism, which makes us what? Brothers and sisters or companions who share in a holy calling and a heavenly calling it makes us the household of God we all have our birth families our biological families our birth narratives but we now have a primary family narrative that even goes bigger and I know this is weird for the north North American context but that is bigger than our birth and biological family beloved baptismal waters is thicker than blood Amen. at least it should be and it often isn't and that's a tragedy and indictment on the faith. We are a household of God. And we are called to hold each other to this conviction, hold each other to this commitment, and to watch out. Watch out for what? For the way that sin can deceive our hearts into thinking that we've got it all figured out. For the way that sin can convince our hearts into thinking that church is less than everything we've just been told in Hebrews. 
from convincing our heart that the way we want to live is somehow smarter than the way God desires. From convincing our heart that we are the sum total of our worst decisions. From convincing our heart that we are absolutely incapable. From convincing our heart that we are bad people or that we are our past. Sin tries to convince our heart of those things. And the writer of Hebrews says, watch out. Encourage one another daily while it is called today. That is the writer of Hebrews saying, do not let a moment go by where if you have opportunity, you encourage your brother and your sister. Does that make sense? Why is that? Because we're companions who share in a heavenly calling. All other callings of our lives, vocations and family, hard as that is to be placed in submission to the heavenly calling that we have. Which is why Jesus would say things like, hey, I might come to divide mother from father, son, and daughter. You know, you remember that story, that part that we don't always know what to do with. What Jesus is saying is, there becomes a primary in your life now. See, Dave is more than a co-worker. He has definitely been a faithful one. And will be for the next few months. But Dave has been family. I can tell you for certain that if your name was mentioned on the prayer line or our prayer list, and if nobody on planet Earth spoke your name into the heavens, day faith did. He prayed for you. Maybe even sent you a card. Maybe visited you. But I know that he prayed for you. If you didn't show up more than two to three weeks in a row to the gathering, he prayed for you. Even in my most prayerless of seasons, and I have had them, where I just have a hard time praying, I always knew that Dave was anchoring the prayers. Dave has modeled before us what it looks like to be a companion who shares in a heavenly calling because Dave's heavenly calling always was more important than his ideology, even when he wrestled with it. It was always more important than just being able to agree. It was always more important that he press into the scriptures and lay himself out before the Holy Spirit and faithfully do the work. Dave and I have bumped heads and we have hugged shoulders. And I bring him before us on his announcing of his retirement as an embodied example of what this scripture can look like when lived out with skin on. I've seen it. And whether you have personally seen it or had different types of experiences, can tell you he has been a faithful shepherd among us. Because the command in this whole thing is to encourage each other so that our hearts don't grow hardened. Okay, so I want to pause for a minute. I want to explain a couple of things really quickly and then I'll call it a, call it a moment. The language for hardened, the idea of a hardened heart in the biblical language in Hebrews, which would take, it, take into account the Hebrew story, Okay, It doesn't mean prideful. That's the way we often think of hard hearts, but the literal language means 
stubborn and inflexible. What the scripture is calling us away from is stubborn inflexibility, an unwillingness to change, an unwillingness to think differently, an unwillingness to just quit, an unwillingness to give in to indifference and disbelief, which is why the unbelief language is there. We are called away from this inflexibility of stubbornness that says, I've always believed what I've gone to believe. I've, I, here's the Bible. There, there it is. It said it. There it is spoken. So be it. And yet, even though we may uncover an entirely different context of what we've learned, the, the Scriptures calls us to a kind of flexibility, a kind of openness, a kind of childlike faith that is willing to rethink all that we have ever known every day of our lives in faith because that's what it means to be a follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And also that's what it requires if you're going to take seriously the idea of being a part of the household of God or being brothers and sisters or companions because let's face it, we wouldn't choose some of the people in our church. Would you choose everybody really? And if you could, then that's great. We don't choose who sits at the table. We are called to welcome all who will come. We aren't supposed to choose churches based on the preaching and the music and the way it looks in the place and the space for which we only spend at best an hour and a half a week. We're called to choose a faithfulness to King Jesus among a people that we've decided we're going to be all in with and figure out life together. That's what the Bible calls church. It's a household. It's a companionship who shares in a heavenly calling. It's a church that's willing to take Jesus seriously enough to follow him and pay the price along the way. And Dave has led us in that journey. I know this to be true. Because I've been there along the way. And yet knowing that that is required of us, every companion, every brother and sister in the church has a command in this text. A summons, if you will. It's verse 13. Encourage each other daily. Because sometimes, no, 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 my bad. All the times we need encouragement. But here's the thing I want to say. The encouragement, the word for encourage in this text does not mean inspire courage. It's not what the language means. It's not the Greek language there. Matter of fact, the word encourage in the text does not mean give people good props and help them keep going. Cheer them on. It doesn't mean any of that. It's far deeper than that. Actually, the word that is chosen for encourage in this text is, the same, is from the same family of words that Jesus pulls from to describe the Holy Spirit as counselor and comforter. In other words, this word has a strength to it. This word could literally be translated, come close to one another to implore and to comfort and help. So first things first, we have to come close to one another. Here's the thing, beloved, and here's the truth to all who are within earshot. If we're to come alongside to implore, come alongside to help, then we have to embrace the companionship that's offered to us and choose to become a companion to others. 
If you want to be, if you want to receive companions, you have to choose to be one. Or to put it another way, we can't be companions if we are rarely around. And we can't receive encouragement if we can't be found. And it's got to be more than one time a week, y'all. This is an hour and a half of life. Life happens the other six days of the week where we need encouragement. But if you want to receive it, you have to be one passionately committed to also, and maybe even only at times, being the one giving it. See, this is a problem for us in our society because life moves fast and we're busy. Or with the pandemic, we've grown accustomed to isolation. Or we've just fallen out of the habit of being with God's people, which is one of the catch-22s of virtual gatherings. Or we do it when we just don't want to go to the beach. And that becomes one more time where we're not around. The language is household. The language is brothers and sisters. The summons is to encourage one another so that we don't become stubborn-hearted, so that we don't become inflexible, so that we don't lose our childlike sensibilities and our childlike faith and dependency upon the God who knows us best and loves us most. And we only accomplish that when we commit to being present as much as we can because church is no longer a membership. It is a way of being in the world because it becomes a family that we are a part of. And it is an imperfect, dysfunctional family at times. And at times it is a beautiful, a beautiful expression of the love of God in the world. And so here's the thing. Companionship has to move beyond convenience. There have been many times where I've disrupted Dave's life. There have been many times where some of us have disrupted Dave's life. Matter of fact, on a sidebar, he is retiring May 31st, so what I encourage you to do is make a list of all the things you need Dave to do for you. Get those to me and the leadership, and we will divvy them out accordingly. Let's work him hard. Beloved, to be a part of a church is to be a part of a family. And it is an imperfect family, which is why we have to change how we think about encouragement and understand that it means to come alongside one another, to implore at times, to exhort at times, and to help and comfort at times. But what it requires at all times is presence, faithful presence, companionship, a household. That's who the church is supposed to be. That's who we are. That's who we need to become. And it does begin with you and with me. Are you an encourager? I didn't ask, do you need encouragement? We know the answer to that. My question is, are you an encourager? Are you living into the rule of life to love one another for God's sake? To guard one another's backs. That's the implore thing. To protect one another's personal values, to honor those boundaries and honor those commitments. To believe one another's motives. To listen in and enter deeply. To sing one another's praises. To say thank you. That's what it means to be a part of WCC because that's what it means 
to be a local expression of the people of God. There are many ways for you to come closer into the life of this church. You just have to choose. And there are many ways that others will try to come close to you. You have to decide if you want to let them. I hope you will. And if you need to remember what it looks like, I want you to think about a man who has served this church for 22 years. He is the longest tenured pastor in the history of this church. He's the first pastor to retire in the history of this church. John has been here 26 years. Served as a vocational pastor for three or four. Nobody cares. Seriously, we don't even keep up with that. We're like the pandemic added. Like pandemic's like dog years, seven years to each. Sherry, how long? Do you know? Oh, wow. Allison, how long? You usually know these things. I know, I just figured I would know. Allison has the correct. Aaron's been here for 12 years as a part of this church, been on staff for... See, Dave knows all this. See, Dave knows all these things. See? We're, man, we're in trouble. Like, Dave, Dave knows all these details. Aaron's been here for 12 years, serving in full-time pastoral work for five, six, eight. Eight, I meant eight. Lord help us. Garrett has been here for 20, served as vocational staff and been here for 20 years. I've been here for 12. We have a stable leadership core, even within our eldership and within the core of the church. We have been blessed with consistency and faithfulness. What I encourage you to do is send Dave some notes and cards. Definitely pray some prayers. And we are going to party. We're going to party like a boss sometime in May. We're going to do some real fun celebration. But today, I just need you to know I couldn't just go on personally as normal and not offer a text and lift Dave up as an example, albeit imperfect example, but faithful example. And it just matters. That's what churches ought to do. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.